Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey family, it's Manafa. Welcome to episode six of our third season of Consciously, OG Wisdom, Hope Dealers, Carers of the Light. Today we have a real treat, my dearest friend, Yanki Griebeck. Yanki is a trauma and addictions therapist, as well as one of the premier adolescent therapists in the entire Jewish community in the entire world. If you don't believe me, you can just ask him. Yanki has served as clinical director of two major community organizations. Collectively, they serve thousands of individuals and families. In recent years, Yanki has focused in on clinical work specifically with individuals suffering from trauma. Yanki utilizes modalities like EMDR, attachment-focused EMDR, and other related work. Yanki also completed an intensive certified sex addiction therapist training through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. Yanki's the real deal. He sometimes is funny, and I think you're really going to get a lot out of him. So here he is, Yanki Greenberger. Hey, Yanki. Hey, Yanki, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? Oh, this is so much better. I'm okay. just going to put it right out there. I totally screwed up. Me and Yankee started recording, and then I realized I messed something up. But uh, I'm really grateful to have you here. It's such a thrill for me. It, it, likewise. It's always good to reconnect with you. Yes, indeedy. Indeedy. All right, so, uh, so Yankee is uh, one of my oldest colleagues. Uh, we were together in the early days of uh, how we are going to change the world. And, yes. uh, and I'm really grateful to, uh, share, give you a, a platform, a, a soapbox, perhaps you might call it to share your message with the world. Hey, so, yeah, normally I get kicked off of soapboxes. So this should be fun. Right, right, right. At, at home. Right. Well, anywhere I go, anywhere, at home, anywhere school, yeah. <laughs> so, schools. <laughs> so I'll give you about 50 minutes to, uh, you know, enjoy the uh, thrill of a lifetime. Okay. Yeah. Talking, talking with you, there's nothing better. Okay, great. Okay. So, uh, so people had a sense from the intro, uh, kind of what your accomplishments are and, uh, and they're vast and intense. And, uh, but who's, who's Yankee Greenberger? Uh, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a simple person, extremely humble, very modest, um, very healthy sense of an ego. Um, and, um, I, I grew up, you know, in Brooklyn, which definitely contributed to my, to my humbleness right. and, um, moved out to and the saying the word humbleness. Sorry? and saying the word humbleness instead of humility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all, it's all semantics. It's, it's all, all good. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I started working in the field. I, I, I actually worked at the Atsky Center. I don't know if you remember this, by the way. Yeah. But you got me the interview at Yatscan. Really? Back in the, yeah, was I nice got the me. job. I got the job. You got the job, right? I got the job. You gave you got me the interview. Yeah. Um, and I know you did a podcast with Alexander uh, Rand yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so it, we were we were there at the same time uh, as primary counselors at the Yatscan Center. Uh, moved out to LA to help uh, run uh, an, an alternative high school program, which developed into. Um, uh, which developed into a drop-in center, which is still going on over there. Uh, they're doing great work over there. Um, and then I moved out to Chicago about almost 11 years ago wow. um, 
get involved with uh, with an organization out here. Uh, I, I was there for 10 years and then I, I finally went off into private practice um, a year ago, um, a little less than a year ago. And that, you know, that's that's where I am, doing do my thing, trying to help uh, one soul at a time. So for those of us who are still in community organizations, you would say you sold your soul into private practice? I, I, I sold my soul into <laughs> private practice. I'm just kidding. I, I, or, or, or like I like to say, I, I started to help people without worrying about what other people thought. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> it's, uh, it's critical. It's so, it's so meaningful. It's so, uh, it's so amazing. Okay, so, um, so that's who you are. And I can't believe you're in Chicago for 10 years. It's a little, yeah, out of New York for 14 years. Wow. That's like, that makes you a fixture. You know, you're, you're somewhere for a decade. That's like a big deal. Well, I am, I am a big deal. Are you, so. <laughs> so like, are you and people, like, would you, are you at a place already where you're like, people say, where are you from? You'll say, I'm from Chicago. Um, yeah, when I give the short answer, yeah. Because, you know, but, um, that's a funny transition, I, I, right? When you're like moved around and it's like, yeah, where are you yeah, from? Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, well, let me tell you my whole life story in order to explain right. so, so, so the funny thing is, I, so I, I, I typically answer the short story is I'm, I'm, I'm from Chicago. Um, but the fact that I lived in LA for three years, it's like, you know, I remember when I moved, I was like, oh, how am I moving? You know, you know this is going to be like, it's, it's a blip in the radar. It's like, right, right. It's, it's, it's wild that, that while my time in LA was so powerful and meaningful, it, you know, in, in the realm of life, it, it was, you know, it was three years, but it was, it was just a little nugget of time. Yeah. It's remarkable. So your kids kind of see themselves as from Chicago. That's like their yeah, experience. My kids, my kids, um, my kids are Chicago kids. My, my kids were, uh, my oldest one was coming into first grade when we moved to Chicago. Um, I had a, my, my second one was born in New York also, but you know, basically grew up here in Chicago. Um, I had one kid that was born in LA six weeks before we moved to Chicago. Oh, wow. So he, he takes a lot of pride in that he's from LA. <laughs> um, and, and then, and then, and then I, have, I have another kid that was born here in Chicago. So he can, or he gets the so he's like, yeah, I mean, but they all talk with a Chicago accent. They say nine and five and Karen. Well, really? Stuff. It, That's amazing. It, yeah. Except um, the third one yeah, gets absolutely. to be a Lakers fan. Legit. Oh, I'm sorry. The third one gets to be a Lakers fan. Legit. If he wants to. Uh, well, everyone's a Warriors fan now. Oh, everyone's a Warriors fan. So I'm like, I'm in the wrong. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, you don't know anything. I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> right. I figure the you end know, of LeBron's on the Lakers. It's like, uh, it's a dream come true. Nah. Nah. Okay. So, um, there you go. Show my ignorance. So, um, okay. So I asked you to think about, so the idea in this, in this, um, these interviews is to try to get to know people at a, uh, at a panini level, at a, at a level of, in, of the interior less about the details of your life, but more about who you are as a person. And then also to give you a little bit of a platform to share kind of what's worked with you. You know, you describe some of the successes that you've had in the, in the, in the work that you're doing and now transitioning into, I know, I know that you are a, a an exceptional clinician. You do great work. I know that. Um, and um, so like some of the tips and tricks that helped you get there and to be the person that you are today. So that's kind of the idea. So yeah. we're going to start off with kind of getting to that, interior way of getting to know you. And, and one of the questions that we utilize is asking you about, you know, where you experience yourself most, uh, uniquely or maybe intensely within the realm of space. Like what's this place in the world where you would say that's my favorite spot and why, right. and try to be as specific as possible. 
Yeah. So first, so just just to just to comment on what we said before, the truth is, if people would be more like me spiritually, the world would be a better place. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad to be able to you know communicate my pearls of wisdom. Right. Um, I, I think so. When I when I saw this question, there 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 are, there are two places that came to mind. One is like super like spiritual, and one is super not spiritual. Okay. Um, and and if I had to like pick one. I picked a super spiritual place, but I definitely want to um, acknowledge the second place because I, because um, I, I agreed to do this for the, for the therapy hour that I'd get from you. So right. I figured maybe you can help me understand a little bit more. Awesome. Okay. So um, being as specific as possible, the most spiritual place in my mind, in my experience is Friday night at the hotel standing directly in the middle of the prayer plaza, hearing all the different minyanim going on, singing um, Kabbalah Shabbos, right? right? Hearing the Kabbalah minyan, the, the straight-up Misnagdi, Litzvah minyan, the Hasidish minyan, Sephardi minyan, just hearing that all, because I, that is like the, the, the ultimate of all Jews coming together and just davening together, even though maybe there are different minyanim, but what makes Judaism so so beautiful is the way that we express ourselves to Hashem. And it's not like, and, and, and that is the proof that it's not about, you know, the, the yeshivish way of living is the right way. The, the Sephardi way of living is the right way. The Hasidish way of living is the right way. All that is bogus. It's all about how do I internally and externally connect to to God, connect to Hashem, connect to a power greater than myself, um, in an effort to, to to really access a spiritual um, streamline that that is that is unattainable any other way. So for me, sitting standing in the middle of the hotel on Friday night, hearing all the different minyanim and being surrounded and enveloped by that, th- there's nothing like that. There's nothing else, nowhere else like that for me. Wow. Okay. So for, for anyone who's not familiar with what you're talking about, right? So there's, there's a prayer, I mean, prayer plaza is a great way to put it. It's kind of this plaza in front of the, the Western wall, Friday night, Jews, classically, we, we have, we, there's a, there's a, a beautiful section of song in which we welcome in uh, Shabbos, Shabbat. So, so, and at the Kotel, what's the, one of the beautiful things about the Kotel is that like people from all different backgrounds and all different cultural experiences, historically cultural experiences join together and they all kind of form their own little prayer groups and everybody just sings. And then you're just in there in the middle. Right. Right. Is that because you're lost a little bit? Like it's a, you just feel like you're just welcome with all your brothers. Cause you're not no, sure which yeah, one you fit I, with. It's, it, no, it's not, it's not that I, it's not that I'm lost. It's that I, I don't identify with anyone else other than a Jew. Right. I identify as a Jew, as a God-fearing and loving Jew who believes that God loves me, um, and I can <clears throat> mess up from today to tomorrow, and God will still love me. And to just feel, um, to, to be enveloped by all these other, by, by multiple different ways of people gathering to connect to God, for me, that's, that's, that's what it's about. So it's the diversity and, and of the diversity of it, yes. Of that experience and that ritual, it kind of mi- reconnects you yeah. with that sense that you're like yeah, because, loved unconditionally. I, 
yeah, I'm, I'm a dude. They're a dude. They're all, and they're all trying. To, they're all doing the same thing I'm trying to do in their own way, and I get to experience it all. Wow, that's really special. Yeah. Okay, so now to the pathology. What's the uh, what's the natural? Okay, no, no, no. Process? So now, now, now the other one. Okay, all right, <laughs> right exactly, exactly. Walking into a baseball stadium yeah. and seeing the field for the first time. Mm. Right. I, first, I love I love sports, and I love going to ball games, and I love you know taking in a bit for me there's nothing like a baseball game mm-hmm. but if i had to narrow down that moment that's just like oh like the first time you were ever there or like the first time that season no 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 the first, no i i can go i can go to a game um tonight and go to a game tomorrow the moment that i walk in and see the field for yeah. the first time Very powerful. that's gonna be that's gonna be that's gonna be awesome wow yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i know what you're talking about very clearly um I remember that. I remember recently. I went with my son. Not recently. It was probably already ten years ago. But I went. I went with my son to the to Yankee Stadium for the first time. The, the new Yankee Stadium. So we walked. I hadn't been there. I hadn't been there at all. Right. Um, and I walked in, and I had that feeling, except like on steroids. Right. It was like so intense, so overwhelming. Well, what do you what do you think that is? Like, what what is it about that that like just you walk in and you see the field and the stands and it's just what is no. that. <laughs> That's what I was hoping you'd help me figure it out. <laughs> I, I, I love it. You know, I, I like day games. Day games also have it, but there's something even, you know, more um, aesthetically pleasing at a night game with the lights and, and the beautifully um, manicured fields with the dirt and, you know, and they're watering the dirt and the clean white foul lines. And, and, and then, you know, seeing these, these professionals who've spent their time like perfecting a skill and, right. and performing it in front of, you know, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people, um, you know, and, and everyone there pretty rooting together, rooting, you know, um, you know, sometimes you have people for, you know, for the other team, but um, there, there's, there's something, there's something to that. There's something to just seeing, you know, um, there, there, I, I guess as, as I'm saying it, there's a, there's, there's so much effort put in by so many different people to bring this one experience together. And I think there's something powerful about that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, I think at all sports games, it's really powerful. It's, um, you know, when you watch like the Seattle Seahawks and they have the 13th man or the 12th man, is it whatever 12th man, right? I think so. It's like the, and it's the, um, and it's the, it's the, the fans are like part of the team. Right. And it gives you this sense that you're part of something. I think I've, I've heard people describe it, that kind of experience at a music festival, uh, or a music um, event, okay. like a, like a concert, you have that feeling like you're part of. I remember my wife and I went to see um, in the theater um, the the uh, what was the movie, the Queen movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, uh, it's unbelievable. So we went in this special theater that has like a surround. It's not IMAX, some other kind of theater, and it makes you feel like you're in in the thing. And specifically, the way that Freddie Mercury would do his concerts. And it was so intense. You felt like, cause he's going back and forth. He's, Hey, yo. And then the, and then the, uh, yeah. and then they're doing, Hey, yo. Right. So it's like this intensity and you feel this part of feeling that's incredibly right. powerful. But I think that there's something with baseball actually, that's really I, I, something. I, I've gone to basketball games. I've gone to hockey. Games, I've never gone to football games, but, but there's something about a, a beautifully manicured baseball field with yeah. the, with the clean jerseys in the beginning, the clean white lines, and the guys like I, uh, playing catch, like they're warming up. It's like so yeah. intense. You know, I remember he used yeah. to go like 
you go to a Yankee stadium, you see Derek Jeter, like on the field, throwing the ball around. And you're like, right. that's like actually Derek Jeter. <laughs> like, it's yeah. So right. Yeah, well, I, I, it's funny. And, and my name is Yankee, as you know, yeah. but we don't, we don't say that other name. Um, we don't say that other name in my house. Which other? Derek Jeter? No, no, the other New York baseball team. There's the Mets oh, and then there's the, the other. And there's the other <laughs> oh, yeah, the Yankees. <laughs> and and, and when people call me Yankee. I'm very slow, yeah. It's very important for your listeners to know. Yeah, yeah. When people call me Yankee, I correct them. It's Yankee. Because <laughs> <laughs> It's great. Anyway, yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, I'm a big Mets fan. Uh, amazing. Okay, so that's really interesting. So that's that, that feeling part of that's really amazing. I guess that's very similar. It's very connected. I mean, I, I was seeing, I was seeing, you said I was that it's not spiritual. It's, I mean, it's, it's very spiritual, but I guess it's, 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 it's spiritual in a very materialistic or maybe a, a, an old school Americana kind of way. Yeah. maybe. Right? Whereas right. Uh, that experience of the Kotel is a very um, culturally Jewish, historically Jewish experience of being in that yes. ancient space, uh, which right. is, which I, I think is interesting because like America is a very not ancient society. It's a very new society and we're constantly, abandoning, you know, the old idea for an entirely fresh and new idea and looking at things new. And that's the, one of the beauties of America. Whereas the Jewish people are ancient. Like we just, you know, we've been around forever. They can't get rid of us right. <laughs> as much as they try. Yeah. They just can't get rid of us. And, listen, and, and I think if you, if you, if you have to narrow it down, if you have to narrow it down, it's, it's a sense of belonging. It's a, it's a sense of connection yeah. that I think ultimately everybody wants to feel. Right. Everybody wants to feel the sense of connection. And I, I know Yalom writes a lot about, you know, the, the common denominator that people bring into therapy is, is relationship issues, right? Not feeling connected to their spouse, their family, their, their community themselves. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's that. And, and that's why the therapeutic relationship between the therapist and the client is so important and needs time to, you know, to build because, it's that connection, that connectivity that's really going to foster healthy therapeutic outcomes. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to somebody about this. I think it's on a different platform um, about the uniqueness of a relationship between a therapist and their client, their patient. That's like different than almost any other relationship because yes. it's, it's the only relationship that's purely um, bilateral, right? But it's not bilateral in the same way that let's say a friendship is bilateral. Like you and I are, are friends in the sense that we're in the same place. We came in, we're the same age uh, almost. And, and we came into the field at the same time and we admire each other's work. And so there's a given, I'll ask you advice. You'll ask me advice. That's a very, and that's a very meaningful thing, right? Mostly you asking me, but right, yeah, right, go ahead. Right, all the time. Right. Okay. Yankee. And then, uh, <laughs> So then, right. So then, and then there's other relationships. There's kind of top down relationships, mentors, parents, yes. kids, right. There's, there's all mm -hmm. those relationships in, in the therapeutic relationship. It's, it's horizontal, but in a totally different manner. Right. And, and, and I think that sometimes people forget about how special that is. Like you don't own, you don't owe your therapist to like, they don't owe, you don't owe them because they agreed to treat you like they're, that's in their best right. circumstance. The therapist is grateful to be able to be present and to provide a service. And you're grateful to be there and receive that service. And you pay for that time because that's his job. Right. right. And there's a kind of that mutual respect uh, that you want. But, but the, the point is, is that when you engage therapy in that way and you have that kind of very rich relationship with your, with therapist, where it's like, no, this hour, this 40 minutes is all about me and that's not because I'm being self-centered and it's not because I'm selfish and it's not because I'm going to scratch his back today and then he'll scratch my back tomorrow when he needs me, right? This is all about me. 
And when you own that relationship, suddenly the relationship actually helps you work out all these other relationships that are very different and creates a lot of healing. 1,000%. One, one, one I'll, I'll take, I think we're saying a step further. It's it, all that made, well, everything you said could be totally true. But if on, on a subconscious level, the therapist can't accept the client right. for who they are, right. It's a, it, it, they're doing a disservice and they're stealing money from their, from their client. Right. It doesn't work. And, and then, then, so that idea of, of being able to be accepted completely and wholly, and even though I'm going to tell you stuff, I don't tell anybody else because I'm so shamed and embarrassed and, and, you know, and, and there, it, it's, it's, you know, maybe even criminal are the things that I want to tell you. Right. But you're going to accept me for who I am as a person. Mm. And I think that, that um, that point and uh, is is probably the most powerful piece of of everything that you just spoke about and the therapeutic relationship with the, with uh, therapist client. Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean even in the addiction world, it's I think even more um, present like that. The 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 um, the enormity of the role of struggling in relationships in that world and that universe is, um, I think, but in, in all, like you said, okay, so just to move on. So, so, um, one of the other ways that I, I, I wanted to get to know you or, or wanted the, the audience to get to know you is, is related to the spiritual teachings that you find meaningful and, and one of the most powerful ways of kind of encapsulating spiritual guiding principles is either in like proverbs, sayings, or stories. So I asked you to think about a specific folk story or a spiritual proverb or a slogan or a saying that reflects you that you've drawn a guiding principle from. So, you know, again, um, I, I think that there, 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 are, there are two, there are two things to this and together, I think for, they, they dictate how I live my life. Right. So one is, one is a book called who moved my cheese. I don't know if you ever heard that book. No, no, I'm so excited to hear this. Yeah, so I, I, I it's it's been very hard for me to replicate to tell the story over. But the, the idea, the idea is that it's actually a business book, right? And it's about these rats who who are in this like maze, and someone moves their cheese, right? And one rat stays waiting for their cheese to be replenished. And these other rats go out and try to find new cheese. And so it's a story of the rat that stays. And then there, I think there are two rats that leave. One goes to find, one goes to look for it. And, and I forgot the other third one. Uh, but the idea is that um, when, 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 if, if you want to make something happen for yourself, this is the lesson I got out of it. When you want to make something happen for yourself, you need to go out there and get it. Because if you just sit and wait for someone to replace, replenish your cheese, Maybe waiting until you start for that, right? But the, the, the importance of going out there, being proactive, being assertive, um, and and looking for more cheese, looking for looking, you know, what, what do I do? And I think this is, you know, when we when we took those train rides, you know, years and years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke about what we're going to do to go look for cheese so we can make change in the world. And I think, you know, um, I, I know that if I if I want to help someone, if I want to put myself in a position to, to be of service to someone, if I just say, if I make that commitment in my head and just say, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to do this and just not do anything, 
it's not going to happen. I need to go and do something. I need to put myself in a position to be able to, to be of service. I need to get, I need to get more training. I need to, I need to learn more. I need to uh, call friends and colleagues and mentors to ask, you know, questions I, I don't have answers for, which are few and far in between. Right. But, um, but, but I, I, I need to do something. I can't just sit and, and wait for the answers to come to me because that's just not how the world works. So that book, who moved my cheese? It's a very short book. Definitely worthwhile to read it. Right. Um, so that's 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 been super important to me. That idea. Let me just comment one thing that you said, which is really powerful, is that you talked about that being a business metaphor, and it's very obvious the way that that plays out. Like going to get your own cheese, like let's say with dollars, like yes. financially. But you framed it also in terms of accomplishment, in terms of helping other people, in terms of being useful to other people, in terms of excellent excellence, those are also commodities that you could go out and get. That's also cheese that you can go get. Right. Yes. That's really, no, it, I think that's, it, and it, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, I, I, one of the things more recently for me is, is that I started to see a lot of people struggling with, with sex addiction, poor masturbation, you know, th- th- that whole realm. And I think, you know, obviously that's with, 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 the, with internet at the stage where it's at, it, it's not, it's not, uh, a shock that that's an issue. So I decided, you know, I, I have some experience working, you know, with, with addiction, but there's something unique about sex addiction. So I decided, you know what, I, I want to be of service to this, to, to this population. So I went out and I got myself certified as a sex addiction therapist and, and learned a tremendous amount. Like I, I felt like I'd go there, just kind of do the course and, and figure it out. Um, and, and I really learned a tremendous amount about the model treating sex addiction um, and how that's different than working with an alcoholic or a drug addict. Um, But yeah, but, but that idea of like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and just, you know, use my experience as, as the ability to help people. I need to really get out there and do something. And and then obviously you can, you know, market yourself. There's there's a whole business sense in, in, in the therapeutic world also um, marketing yourself the right way, niching yourself in a certain, with a certain uh, population. Um, But yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, it's 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 more than just a business um, concept. It's it's a it's a personal growth concept. Right, right. And what I think really powerful is that at the stage that we're at in our in our lives, where we have a little bit of cheese that we could rely on, right? But we still don't, you know, we we haven't gotten there. I mean, there's so much more that we could learn, and it's right. really motivating ourselves to get hungry. You know, when we were yeah. younger, it was almost easy to be hungry. Like we didn't have anything to offer people. I mean, you were the most <laughs> humble, but, but aside from that, obviously, right. We had so much to, to learn and to grab and we didn't have any money. So like <laughs> there was a lot of motivators, you know, but you get into a place where you have what to offer and that's a beautiful kind of story. It's like, well, I, I, you know, I've been treating addiction for a decade. What do I need to go get training? You know? And then it's like, oh my, there's so much for me to learn. Yes. Um, no, it, it, well, 1000%. Um, the other, the other, the other statement that I, that I live by, and I think this is, this is very important, um, for me at least, and, and I'm, and I'm, and Malcolm, I'm sure you can learn from this, um, is I, there was, there was a rabbi in LA, um, who used to tell me, don't get high on your highs and don't get low on your lows. Mm. Right. You got to stay balanced, right? Life is going to happen. You're going to have high, you're going to have high moments and you can have low moments, right? Don't, uh, sorry, he, he, don't get too high on your highs and don't get too low on your lows. Okay. Like 
the life's going to happen, right? And there are going to be times where, like, you're going to feel like a million dollars, and there are going to be times where you feel like, you know what, no one's going to notice if I disappear, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, and and that that wave will crash, and and then you'll have calm water again. You know, just use that wave metaphor. So, like, you know, the the, the importance of just being emotionally balanced. You know, we talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about emotional stability. I want emotionally balanced, like just to realize that there, there are going to be times that are great. And it's not, and, and, and it shouldn't be confused with ignoring the emotions that we feel, right? right? The excitement or, or, or the depressive, you know, emotions, the sad emotions. Um, but, but to realize that, you know, the, the concept of, you know, Gamze or this two shall pass. And, um, you know, I'll get through this, this tough time. And I know that this is, this is, you know, or, or I'm feeling super exhilarated. I want I want to use that to 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 push me forward because I know that that's gonna you know th- this is also gonna pass and I, and I got to figure things out. So the importance on staying emotionally balanced um, is is key. And I think that line from from this rabbi, Rabbi Linger, I'm in L.A. Um, don't get too high in your highs. Don't get too low in your lows. Amazing. Okay, so uh, you know, as a person who you know, whose humility is only eclipsed by Moses himself and, uh, you know, and, and, and who for sure is the most compassionate and empathic. Um, far none. Far none. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you encounter suffering, um, not definitely not your own because, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but others, um, as I asked you to think about what was like a, an episode in your life, a, a moment in your life where that gave you permission to have hope, to have optimism, to feel like maybe I could change the world. Maybe I could actually help somebody. Um, you know, so, so I, I, to be honest, this is, this is a question I, I had a hard time with because I, I almost feel. And, uh, Everybody has a hard time with this question. I was going to take it out and then I'm like, no, no, let them suffer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the most nauseating answer, okay, right? Great. It's waking up every morning. Okay. Waking up every morning and, and being, and knowing that what I do for a living and what I do um, you know, taking inventory of, of the blessings I have, um, you know, I, uh, you know, an amazing wife, really great, um, you know, kids, um, uh, you know, I, 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 people, people view me as someone who can be of service and, and help to them. Um, honestly, I, I think the only answer that really like trust me is, is, is waking up in the morning and realizing that I have, I have a wonderful day ahead of me, mm. you know, so it's not, a, I don't, I don't know if there's a single episode. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I, I got to where I am my life by waking, you know, where I do wake up every morning and, and had this feeling. Right. Um, it's hard for me to narrow it down to one episode, but I, I, I definitely think that, you know, this morning when I woke up, I was like, I got to see, I got to, I got to see uh, Menachem today. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Like, you know, I, 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 yeah, so that's my cheesy answer for for you. No, it's great. It's not. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it's great. That's a great answer, right? I, I I would imagine that kind of waking up and orienting 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 yourself towards uh, what's right about your life is something that took time to develop, as you said, you know. But then doing that every every morning becomes a moment of optimism. So you know what? I'll, I'll tell you something. This just this just came to me. This just came to me. I remember one night. Pre-ASCAN, pre-ASCAN, I just got my degree. Right. 
right? I just got my degree and I, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I'm bound to get hired by someone. I went on a job interview and I didn't get the job. I mean, their loss, obviously. Obviously. Right. If they only knew. Right. So, but that night I remember being in bed and feeling really dejected, like, you know, and all the negative self doubt, self thoughts about, you know, am I going to get a job and how am I going to support my family and how am I going to do this? And am I really good enough and all that stuff? Yeah, came to me and it was, it was, it was overwhelming. I'll, I'll, I'll own that. It was overwhelming. Right. Um, and I remember making a commitment. So maybe this is the episode. <laughs> Thank you for the therapy. There you <laughs> go. Right. This is a wonderful therapy. Well worth the money. Um, so um, I remember, so I remember making a commitment to, to say over the 13 attributes of, of Amuna, I believe the Animamans. Yeah. Um, I mean, every, every morning just to like, you know, to, to focus, you know, like I, I, I trust in God. I, I, I do, you know, I, I, um, you know, that's the thing that's one lesson that I, that I got from my, my father, um, you know, his, his intense, strong belief in, um, in God. Um, and I, you know, it, it, it was so intense that it, you know, it filtered down to me. Um, so I, I definitely have, I definitely believe in it. I mean, I would say no one's has more Muna in the world than me. Right. Right. But I think that's a little too cliche right now, but it's true also. Um, but no, but I think, I think having that belief system that, that God is going to take care of me. I just have to, you know, do my part and have faith. And I, you know, so maybe, maybe that, maybe that was the moment. That's a great moment. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So now we got to know you a little bit. Now we, uh, you know, aside from your bio and the fact that you're the most humble, and compassionate and faithful person uh, yes. in the universe, and that you love b- baseball, um, but the wrong team. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to go there. You I feel bad. I feel bad for you. I, I do. It's like uh, you know, being, Listen, my life is so perfect that I need to have something that's a little all right. Off. So I follow, right. I follow the team. That's it makes like, sense you know, that you would end up with the Mets and I would end up with the Yankees. It makes sense, <laughs> you know. At least he's got to throw me a bone, you know. Exactly. So, <laughs> okay, so. So now moving into kind of the second half, uh, we have a few, uh, you know, a few minutes left. So what's, I asked you to think about like a daily practice that you have that you really feel contributes to your personal success. Right. So I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, and this is going to be very simplistic, right? It's not going to be deep and esoteric. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm understanding this question as, it's also like what like what do I do to recharge? What do I do to like make sure I don't burn out? Because I think that if you have you know in, in this field, if you're not caring for yourself and you're not making sure that you're having your time to re-energize and recharge, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So I'll tell you something that I that I do. So I have I have a couch in my office, mm-hmm. right? And not all the time, but a lot of times in between sessions, I'll lay on my couch and just close my eyes. I just like, you know, let my body physically like recharge. I, 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 I gave, I gave a lot of my, you know, personal, I probably have ADD also. So, you know, for me to focus for like 50 minutes, it's exhausting. <laughs> you know, it wipes me out. Yeah. So, you know, but, but the idea like, you know, like I just gave fully of myself to someone else. I, I need five, 10 minutes to just, you know, lie on my couch, close my eyes um, and, and, and relax. You know, and I, I have a phrase for it. I call it hit the couch. Hit the couch. I hit the, ca- I hit the couch. That's great. Right? 
and I'll do that. I'll do that here. I'll do that at home. Like I just, I just think there's something about like being able to go lay down and close your eyes and it's better than a cup of coffee. It's better than any other sugar, you know, Red Bull that you're going to, that you're going to have. Right. It's just like, take time for yourself and relax. Mm, hit the couch. That's great. It's yeah. you bring up an interesting thing. I know we're talking a lot about being a therapist. I, you know, sometimes be like, well, how hard could it be? Like, oh, you're sitting there just listening to somebody. And, and for me, if I, if I, you know, I come off of uh, four or five sessions in a row and I am like toast, yeah. I'm like toast, like toast. Yeah. It's, there's such an intensity of just being fully present. And maybe it's yes. because, maybe it's because we're so selfish. So it's like, <laughs> but, uh, but it, to right. be fully present for another person, like fully for right. themselves. I mean, maybe, maybe some great righteous man is like, it's easy for them. I what I mean, I can be fully present for anybody all the time. Right. The great sage, he was fully present for everybody all the time. Right. Maybe that's true. Right. I guess. I guess I, I'm I'm fully present because I'm just so afraid I'm going to miss something. Right. <laughs> like, 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 if I space out now, like I'm in trouble. Right. So, um, but yeah, no. So, so I say, so if you do it in, in you know 45, 50 minute intervals, and then you have like five, 10, 15 minutes in between sessions, like why not take some time for yourself? Yeah. So you know, Recharge. do you do return a call? But you know, also hit the couch. Hit the couch. Beautiful. So I, I uh, this is uh, this is one that people always squirm about. I'm not sure if you'll squirm, but I asked you to think about to pick one thing about one relationship that makes it awesome and makes it work, and what you do to foster that relationship. And now everybody squirms because they feel like they're supposed to pick their spouse, or they want to not pick their spouse because they want to be original, but then they feel bad their spouse is going to be upset. So, so one of the things that I've been kind of focusing in on is reminding people that it's it's not even the relationship, but the thing about that relationship. Yes. Um, that's so fantastic. Yeah. So for me, this, this was probably the easiest question Okay, great. because it is my spouse, right? It is my spouse. And what it is, is the, the priority we put on making each other laugh. Mm. Right. The, 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 like we, like, we, like not just, I mean, I remember, I don't know, growing up in, in New York, we listened to Z100, right? So they would like announce um, anniversaries and, and they would say, Oh, they're married for 22 years. and never had a fight. Right. So I'm not saying that we never had a fight. Right. Yeah. But if there was ever, you know, if there was ever anything that happened that would, that we wouldn't see eye to eye on. Right. It would always end with a smile and a laugh, mm. you know, and, and it always ends with a smile and a laugh. I think the, the ability to make each other laugh is, um, is, is so important. And, um, I know, you know, first of all, it, it, like I, like I, like I was alluding to earlier, you can't take life too seriously. Mm-hmm. You have to take life seriously, but you can't take it too seriously. Right. You can't, you know, I make, I make, I, in, in full, I make jokes about, you know, being so humble and all that stuff. Right. Right. I, so I, I'm obviously making that tongue in cheek. Right. Um, there's truth with, um, but um, I'm, I'm making tongue in cheek. Because that's what somebody like, who is humble would do. They would have to, you know, be self-effacing yeah, to, to hide their humility. Yeah, of, right? of course. Right. No, but at the same time, it's because like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that important that, that, you know, someone can, you know, bend me and hurt me so much that like, I'm, I'm going to fall apart. Right. Mm. Certainly the most, most important relationship in, in, in your life Right. You can't take you have to you have to be brutally honest. So you have to you have to have a, a sense of openness to to bring up stuff that, you know, maybe is a little bit difficult to bring up. But at the same time, you know, laugh, you know, be able to to make it to make make a joke, 
be silly, be immature. Um, and don't, don't take yourself or your life too seriously. Just, you know, so I, I think for me, it's, it's the, the one relationship is definitely my wife. And the thing that, the thing that, um, the thing that really makes it move is the ability to make each other laugh. That's, uh, you know, what, what, one of the things that you just said, that's really jumped out at me. It's really powerful. Um, is, you know, the way, it's one of the ways that I frame it is like, it's really critical that you take what you're doing seriously, but that you don't take yourself seriously. So in the frame of marriage, let's say it's really critical that you take your relationship seriously, but you're not yourself seriously. And, and part of what I heard you say is when I'm taking myself too seriously, I can't afford to be wronged or I can't afford right. to let go of something because I am so important and you hurt me. And right. it would it, seem it, like because, well, it becomes about you. It becomes about you and not your relationship. Right. Right. And it would seem like the opposite. It's a little counterintuitive because you're like, what do you mean? You're going to laugh. Isn't that not taking your relationship seriously? And I think what's powerful about what you're saying is no, 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 no. It's that you're not taking the relationship seriously. I'm sure the issue at hand is very, very important. Right. And I'm right. But if I'm not taking myself too seriously, then I can be, and, and you did say this, like I can address an issue that's uncomfortable and I can also laugh. Right. I can do both at the same time. Right. Yes. I don't have to like ignore the issue at hand and be right. silly in order to deflect. I don't have to be sarcastic in order to deflect because I'm uncomfortable with the feeling, but I can address the issue at hand and then also make a joke so that we can laugh because I'm not so important. Right. Well, yeah, because, because the ability to bring up these issues is because the person I'm with is safe enough for me, for me to be able to do it because we're, we're, you know, certainly in a marriage, you're, you're in this thing called life together, right? You're, right. you're living your life together to accomplish life, to succeed in life, to, um, you know, to grow in life. You're doing that together. And, you know, when, when you take yourself too seriously, it's not, it's the together part fades away and it just becomes about you it becomes about me. And, um, and I always like, you know, when, when I, when I, when I do work with couples, I don't work a lot with couples, but a little bit, um, you know, I, I say marriage, marriage should be a, a one way street that goes two ways, right? It's a one way street, me to you, right? Me to my spouse. And so that's the one way street. It goes two ways because my spouse is fully for me. Right. Right. But I can't focus on what my, what, what I'll just use the, the genders for, for the sake of, making clear, I can't focus on what she's doing for me. I'm just going to focus on my part and, and give for her. Right. right. And you know, when, when we're in that, it's, for me, it's just a, it's a one-way treat me to her. Right. Right. And you know, she takes care of me the way she takes care of me, but that has no relevance to it because right now it's just me to her. So it's a one-way street that goes two ways. It's very powerful. It's the impulse. And I mean, you said some really powerful things about marriage, but the impulse is, to want to make sure that my needs are being addressed, my needs are being taken care of. And what you're saying right. is that the when you're in a relationship that's safe, right? And that's an if, right? Because yes. that's not always necessarily the case, and that's tragic. But when uh -huh. you are in a relationship that's safe, it's not about what you're getting out of the relationship. And that way, I think the, the spousal relationship is very, very unique, right? It's extremely unique. It's different than almost any relationship because, because it is what you said. It is about choosing 
someone or finding someone, you know, um, who, who you are sharing your life with, right? You're not, I'm not in a relationship with this person. I am sharing my life with this person. And, and when it's that safe, then it's like, I am part of sharing my life with that person is the commitment to not be thinking about what they're doing for me. Right. Which for a guy like you is very simple, but for a guy like me, right, that's a very tough thing to do, right, to let go. I, I think it's time you move to Chicago and be near to me. Oh, you're so saying I, it's so mid- you can learn from me. Oh, more I, thought, often. I thought maybe it was the Midwest thing. I'd be a little more wholesome. If I no, 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 no. It's, it's just a me thing. If you could just get the weather <laughs> addressed, if you guys could just deal with the weather, I was. You know, I think I think last winter was worse in New York than here in Chicago. Do you so. remember? I came. Yeah, you you brought me out to Chicago, which was one of the. It was thrills. It was great. I came out to Chicago yeah. and we did a speaking engagement together, and and we went to lunch, and I was wearing like a coat and a scarf, and I was. So cold, and you were wearing like a jacket, and then you took it off because you were hot. <laughs> and I was like, "It's like twenty degrees," and you're like, "What do you mean? It was negative forty yesterday." <laughs> it's true. By the way, once it hits like thirty degrees, the kids yeah. in Chicago are like, you know, polo shirts and shorts. Right. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Okay, so uh, okay, so I asked you to think about a uh, a practice or a mantra that you have that helps you stay grounded. Um, especially for somebody of your stature. Um, right. how, how do you do that? How do you like stay like normal? So, well, I, I, you're assuming I'm normal, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I, I'll be the first to admit I'm not so normal. Um, but I, I, I think that, that the practice that I do uh, is, I, is I go home every day. Okay. I go home, I go home every day and at home, I'm not... Yankee, the therapist. I'm not, you know, I'm not anyone other than Tati. My kids, you know, my kids keep me grounded. They, they humble me even more. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, they, 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 you know, I, I, I I believe they look up to me, right. I have, I have reason to believe they look up to me, but at the same time, they, they know, they know my weaknesses, they know my strengths and and they know, you know, what I like and what I dislike. And, and I'm just, I'm just happy at home and to be able to go home and have, you know, have, um, you know, see my kids and, and, um, interact with them. And, and, and it reminds me that, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I, and I'm not saying this, I, I truly care for every one of my clients. It's, it, I, you know, I, and this is something that like, I, <laughs> it's, it sounds so gaudy, but I'm, I'm sometimes amazed by how true that is for me, like how I really do care for all my clients. Right. But, but when I come home, like it, it reminds me, and this is no slight to my, my clients. It's just, it reminds me that at the end of the day, like the most important thing to me are, are the people that live in this house hmm. and I'll do anything in the world for them. Right. And, um, and I think that, that keeps me grounded. So that whatever success you're having in your daytime, it's the reminder that like, that's, this is not what's most important. Right. And, 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 and then again, you know, certainly to, you know, to be able to prioritize different things in your life, to be able to prioritize, um, how, how you, how you spend your time and granted, you know, there, there are times that you have to give up yourself a lot. Right. And, um, you know, to have, first of all, just my, you know, my, for my wife who gives me that permission to give up myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is a big blessing to myself, to my clients, to, you know, to, to my kids. Right. But to be able to, but at the end of the day, 
literally at the end of the day to be able to walk into my house, right? And hear, hey, Tati. Mm. Now, that, that, is, that is something that um, most certainly keeps me grounded. Amazing. Yankee, you were fantastic. You were I amazing. know. I was. Thank you so much. I know that you know, but <laughs> just to affirm for everybody no, no, else. Yeah. You know, this, this, this was a real treat. It was a real treat for me, and it's always great to be able to connect with you. And to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, memory of Tsipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky and produced by Chaim Kohn. Editing by Eitan Kornblum and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Maya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher or wherever else you get your podcast. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback and questions, so please feel free free to email us at consciously62 at gmail.com or on our Instagram and Facebook pages.